Kia ora, Sharon Brett Kelly. Kia ora, Emile Donovan. I'm very excited. It's nice to see you here. <laughs> we don't do this very often, do no, we? No, we don't, which is probably a good thing considering my notorious tent. Oh, rubbish. I, I've, I've heard people talk about it, but I don't believe it at all. <laughs> we are here, Sharon, because today's episode of The Detail is a bit different to usual. Yeah, we wanted to look at the local body elections because, you know, Emil, is it me or are they just a bit more interesting, a bit spicy this time? Yeah, it does It does feel like it, certainly more so than in 2019, and especially when you look at the places that are sort of, you know, there's always so much focus on the Holy Trinity, you know, the Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, mayoral races, and those are quite interesting this year, but we didn't want to look at them this time around. No, and there's plenty of others to look at. Around the country, there's lots of big issues, there's controversies, and some very interesting personalities involved as well. And so we decided to select three really interesting and sort of off-the-beaten-track races around the country. In doing so, we had to look past some other contenders. Like Whakatane, where, in fact, Nandor Tankshoss, the ex-Green MP, is battling it out for mayor uh, with a few others, actually, including an old schoolmate of mine, (laughs) (laughs) Victor Luca. As somebody said, it's the Rastafarian versus the former Catholic (laughs) schoolboy. There's also, I was really interested by the Queenstown race as well, because Jim Bolt stepping down from that. He's held the mayoralty there since 2016. And there's all of these issues, you know, Queenstown's so badly affected by COVID. Um, There are all of these issues looking into the future, the future of tourism in New Zealand. And the other one is Nelson, where we know that Nick Smith, the former national minister, is, is one of the contenders. But we also have the oldest mayoral contender there and the youngest. Mm-hmm. So it's that's going to be a fascinating one as well. But uh, we did have to settle on three in the end. So uh, maybe without further ado, we'll crack into them and we'll start with our southernmost city. Tess Brampton, welcome to The Detail. Great to have you here. Kia ora. Thank you so much. In terms of, you know, like the, the, the machinations of local government, the factors that would go into a report card as to how administration is sort of graded by the voters, how do you think it's been in Invercargill over the past three years? It has been a very tumultuous few years. So remembering that they have had intervention by the Department of Internal Affairs, and that was in 2020. And there was a report written later that year by Richard Thompson, who basically found major issues stemming from a leadership void with um, concerns that Mayor Sir Tim Shadbolt was struggling to do his job. Councillors told the Thompson report that Mayor Shadbolt is confused, struggles to follow agendas, and needs to be closely monitored. Um, There has been a lot of progress that's been made since there. in terms of better staff and councillor morale, positive progress on some of the key issues. But there is still serious concerns about um, Mayor Sir Tim Shadbolt, um, who was still being viewed as, I guess, actively stoking discontent. Um, and that's been another issue that has been raised. I mean, this is a council that has been making some big financial decisions. There's been um, multi-million developments in terms of the streetscape, the city block, um, the Southland Museum and Art Gallery has also been, I guess, a thorn in the council's side because that's been closed since 2018 after it was found to be an earthquake hazard. There are still worries that 
there is a new council coming on. There's an opportunity for someone at the helm to take the the city forward. Um, But there's also concerns if they don't and they're sort of reverting back to the infighting days, which uh, are not looked on fondly. Tess, I mean, this this feels like a familiar song, this one. You know, it feels like... Local political commentators in Invercargill have been writing Tim's political obituary since Moses was in short pants. Like, <laughs> what's what's the deal here? Is is that happening again this time around? Certainly, and particularly in the variety of media coverage, one thing that's come a bit more out is that it's. So Tim Shambolt has not been turning up to mayoral candidate debates. Mm. And so in that, there has been a a few whispers and a few conversations about whether he has essentially decided that he's not going to put in all of the effort, um, that he's sort of not thinking that he'll be getting the top position. But he has still been saying that he wants to seek a final term as mayor to leave the city's future stable. He's been the mayor since 1998. So that's 24 straight years, as well as another term back in 1993. He's been an advocate for Invercargill and has made a lot of decisions to try and put Invercargill on the map. Infrastructure got a boost. Trans-Tasman Airport and I want to see a big brand new $10 million swimming pool built. And students flocked to Invercargill to take advantage of the Mayor's Zero Fees initiative. We were the fastest declining city in New Zealand or Australia and we felt we wanted to change it and we were able to do that. But it has been in more recent years that that sort of very favourable image has been a lot more tarnished and there's a lot of conversations about perhaps it's time for some new blood and someone else at the helm. All right. Well, speaking of the contenders, take us through the list of contenders. What's the lay of the land there? So we have 10 contenders. You've got the likes of Nobby Clark, who is the deputy mayor currently. Um, he has previously in the Thompson report, there were some concerns about him being a bit more polarising, but there has been some more work done there. Uh, Rhea Bond, who is a former New Zealand First List MP. Tom Morton, who is known as a 60-year-old TikToker. Hi, I'm Uncle Tom, Tom Morton. Is it in the cargo? Gorgeous. Uh, Darren Ludlow, who's a councillor and previously has been a deputy mayor and in the role for um, more than 20 years. So a very well-established councillor there. Um, You've also got Tony Biddle, who I think is an interesting candidate in the fact that she was the former deputy mayor and in 2020 she announced her resignation citing a toxic work environment and saying that the strain of having to do her job as well as the mayor's job uh, was one of her or part of her reasons for leaving. I felt it was almost impossible to do what was required of our community in that environment, which is why I've completely stepped away. But she has since come out and said that she is returning with conviction and really wants to be building a team that debates issues, not personalities. Mm. Then, of course, you've got Sir Tim Shadbolt. He's, as we mentioned, he's been in the role for more than two decades. There is certainly a bit of a turn in the tide in terms of public opinion um, down in Invercargill from the people that I've spoken to. Uh, You've of course also got Marcus Lush. Now Mm -hmm. he is probably one of the uh, I guess more notable candidates in terms of being a broadcast personality. There has been a bit of um, concerns on the front of some of the policies he's come forward with just in terms of he said that he wants to have the 
best um, playground in the country and also wanting to put forward a few other ideas that are, he says they're not ratepayer funded, but hasn't been as forthcoming in terms of the way that it's going to be funded. So there are a lot of colourful characters that are forming this mayoral candidacy. So it is going to be interesting to see. What is your impression of what the biggest issues for voters in Invercargill are coming up to, to this year's local body elections? Some of the biggest issues um, include the likes of Three Waters and particularly the way that it was often described by candidates is, you know, phrasing of stealing infrastructure or concerns that Invercargill would be picking up the tab of other councils mm. that perhaps weren't doing as well with their water infrastructure. There's been a lot of multi-million dollar projects that are currently on the table. So the council does have to sort of weigh up what kind of financial projects that they're prepared to continue to put money towards if they need to trim the fat and perhaps you know, look at smaller developments because there has been concerns about rate rises and the, the level of rate rises. I think there's a lot of concerns about what you know, what kind of financial future you want to leave for Invercargill ratepayers um, to be picking up. TY points on the radar as well, Tis? Yes, definitely. So there has been continued conversations about whether it will be extended beyond the current closure date or predicted closure date of 2024. Amid historically high aluminium prices, the smelter's majority owner, Rio Tinto, has issued a statement saying it believes there's a long-term future for the operation. It will be interesting to see what Rio Tinto, the owners, um, what their decision is and whether they will continue. But I think that one of the key kind of points that has been raised is trying to ensure that there is some way forward if it does close as as planned and what that will mean for ensuring there's still enough jobs, that there's enough houses for people who may be wanting to move into the area. So I think um, TY Point will be um, definitely on people's mind when they're going to the, the ballot boxes. Wow, 10 contenders mm. for the Invercargill mayoralty and they're not short of some strong characters there. Yeah, and, and especially 10 coming off, I think TC said four there were in 2019. So it seems like there's a real, um, maybe this is an unkind metaphor, but sort of like the armies of Europe uniting against Napoleon in a sense there, you know. Um, Napoleon being Sir Tim Shadrock. <laughs> To end his 24-year <laughs> reign. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, the the interesting element to that, though, is that Invercargill's electoral system is a first-past-the-post system, and so there is um, the possibility that that stacked field of contenders ends up fragmenting that vote and that the, essentially the candidate with the highest name recognition ends up breezing through. So it will be a fascinating one to watch, both in terms of what happens, but also in terms of how the electoral system influences that outcome, I think. Fascinating. Well, next up is Rotorua in the Bay of Plenty, and we know it has been in the headlines a lot recently because of the emergency housing crisis. And for this one, I talked to Felix Demeray, who is the local democracy reporter at the Rotorua Daily Post. Felix, if you had two minutes to explain to somebody what's going on with the Rotorua elections, what would you say? What are the biggest issues there? Uh, I would say one of the biggest ones is housing, and in particular the uh, emergency housing in motels. Gangs, drugs, fires, their town, they say, has become dangerous. It's the first thing that's coming out of 
pretty much all of the candidates' mouths that, and and out of the voters' mouths as well. It's it's definitely the biggest issue here in in Rotorua. And what are the candidates saying about how they're going to fix it? Yeah, so uh, most of the candidates are saying um, pretty similar things about emergency housing and motels. They're pretty much saying they want to see an end to it. Um, And a lot of them are calling for a sinking lid uh, policy on the practice. Um, But I just spoke to Carmel Sapoloni, the Minister for Social Development, just before, and it didn't sound like the government was particularly keen on that idea. Because that's the thing, is that whoever becomes the mayor and whoever is elected onto the council, they don't have all the power in this issue. No, that that's right, Sharon. And, and I mean, and indeed, the the mayor itself or themselves, they don't have a particularly massive amount of power on the council because they're just one vote. But what power the mayor does have is the power to lobby central government. So that will be a really crucial thing after the election. Whoever is the mayor will have to be really good at building those relationships with the government to advocate for Rotorua. You've got a really interesting lineup of of mayoral candidates. The the inca- mm. the current mayor is not standing. Is that right? That's right. That's Steve Chadwick. She's been in the role for nine years, and before that, she was uh, after a little bit of an interlude. She was the uh, MP for Rotorua as well. So she's standing down after about twenty five years in public service. Well, tell me about these these other hopefuls. Yeah, so we've got quite a few. Uh, we've got seven. Um, probably the most high profile would be Tanya Tapsell, who um, you may know ran in the East Coast electorate against Kitty Allen uh, in the last general election. We've got a huge housing crisis, a methamphetamine problem, and we're going to really struggle with this economic crisis. Obviously she was uh, unsuccessful in that red wave that we saw. Um, but, uh, you know, she's sort of tipped as a bit of a, uh, a talent in the National Party. And she did some controversial things over the term. She is a sitting councillor. She's been a councillor for nine years. Um, so she voted against Māori wards in Rotorua, and that was a little bit controversial, but she was basically saying that she was concerned that Māori would not have as many votes available to them. Uh, then we have Fletcher Tabuto. He's a former uh, deputy leader of New Zealand First uh, and was based in Rotorua for much of the time he was in Parliament. Uh, ben Sanford. The Olympian is also on the World Anti-Doping Committee. Oh, and he stood for Labour for Rotorua in the last election, losing out to Todd McClay. And we have Reynold McPherson. He is the chairman of the Rotorua Residents and Ratepayers Association. We also have Raj Kumar, um, who was the second highest uh, council candidate uh, in the last local election. So he's incredibly popular. Um, and then we've got uh, Kaladevi Ananda, who uh, claimed that she'd won an Emmy for her work as a makeup artist uh, and later retracted that claim and um, clarified it was a Cable Ace Award. And we have Rania Sears, who was a bit of a wild card, I suppose. She, um, her name just appeared on the ballot. She was the only candidate who didn't announce her candidacy for the mayoralty before the uh, ballot closed. Oh, so she just popped up out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. There is another big talking point in Rotorua that people outside the city may not have picked up on, and that is the famous rebuild or makeover of the Rotorua Museum in Blue Baths. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's uh, yeah another big issue for the people of Rotorua. Um, I believe the museum's been closed for about nine years now, so it's 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 wild to think there are nine-year-olds walking around in Rotorua who've never stepped foot in their own museum. That building is considered a taonga um, uh, by not just people in Rotorua but uh, across the country, and um, that is actually actually under construction at the moment. And 
there has been a bit of a cost blowout on that. Um, but meanwhile, the blue bath was just closed and uh, has remained closed and no plan is really in place for it. And, and any other big topics that people are talking about? Um, another really big one is sort of related to the housing issue. Um, there was a, a proposal the council brought to the fore, I suppose, uh, at the beginning of this year, and that was to revoke the reserve status of, uh, in the end, it was seven reserve sites. The original proposal um, would have seen six sites be sold to Kainga Order for public housing. So, you know, obviously there there's a possible solution to what's going on in the motels. But there's been a massive backlash to that proposal. There were, I think, over a thousand signatures and petitions against. There were about 600 submissions. There were four days of hearings. That was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, People really didn't want to see the reserve sites uh, revoked um, for housing. So there's a lot of issues going on around housing in Rotorua and sometimes they're not quite in sync. Is there any indication of how many people are going to turn out to vote? Because it's always, it's always a problem, isn't it? Well, a really interesting thing to me was uh, at the Rotorua Business Chamber event, uh, which is a mayoral candidate's uh, debate the other week. The room was full to brimming. It was standing room only and uh, the uh, chairman of the chamber, uh, Bryce Hurd, told me he'd never seen it that full before and they've been running those events for years. So to me, that indicates that well, at least I hope there's going to be a, a bit of a lift. I reckon I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be uh, positive and say yes. There's going to be a lift in voter turnout in Rotorua in 2022. How interesting! One of the things that I found really interesting about that interview is this this theme that comes through of the idea that some of the issues that local councils are having to deal with this year are of such a magnitude that the councils themselves don't actually have that much heft or sway and that a really key point in these elections is who is going to have the best dialogue with central government because getting central government on side is absolutely crucial. That housing point that mm. you talked to Felix about being one of those. Mm. I know, that's that's a fascinating one. And, and of course, Rotorua being a big tourism destination, mm. I, I think that that issue of the museum and the blue bars, I mean, they are landmarks yeah. and big tourist attractions. And it's kind of sad if they can't sort that out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That actually, that perhaps as well explains the... Quite a few ex-MPs, it seems, are standing for mayoralty this year. I mean, perhaps that's a real consideration for both people standing for office and for voters as well, you know, is that idea of connections and um, having someone's ear. True. Is that the case in the next um, place that you're talking about, Emil? It's not really, no. Um, we're heading down, back down south to my old stomping ground, Dunedin, for the next one. Um, so Aaron Hawkins was elected in 2019 uh, with the backing of the Green Party, and he's going up against his old rival, Lee Vandivis, and, uh, well, it's pretty fair to say that these two are chalk and cheese. For this one I spoke to Stuff's Dunedin reporter Hamish McNeely. If you look back over the over the past couple of years, I mean how would you characterize Aaron Hawkins' mayoralty broadly? I just think the shadow of COVID has just haunted this first term. Like for me, Hawkins' strength is public speaking. He is, I guess from years of working on student radio, mm. a very slick, professional, uh, well thought out public speaker, that's his strength. Speechlessness isn't something that afflicts me often. Um... COVID means he wasn't in front of people as often, wasn't at events, wasn't opening things. 
and it almost feels like it's a it's a second term for him in that he's sort of had to retrench back into the council building through no, no fault of his own. And then there's been some other uh, matters on top of that. We've had the uh, Wakaoiti-led uh, scare. The residents of two South Island towns are anxiously waiting for blood tests after their water supply was found to have had 40 times the safe level of lead. It took two months for the mayor to find out and for a do-not-drink order to be issued. You can see the vision that uh, Mayor Hawkins and many on this council want for the city. They they want, uh, you know, like cycleways. Uh, they, they want to pedestrianise, uh, initially wanted to pedestrianise George Street. They've done lots of works on uh, playgrounds and that sort of thing, family-friendly sort of approach. But anything in Dunedin that tinkers with the same that we've had for decades uh, attracts a lot of uh, detractors, obviously. And um, particularly, nothing is as a hot-button issue as uh, parking, and changing the road system. A lot of people just can't deal with that. And I think what came off as somebody who was new and exciting with that Green Party link, and obviously Aaron uh, had the hitchhiking mere sort of media taglines. On the outskirts of Dunedin and the small settlement of Port Chalmers, you'll find a man in a suit with his thumb out. This is Aaron Hawkins, and he's quite possibly the only mayor in the country to hitchhike his way to work. Meanwhile, it, 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 it seems, anyway, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as though his big rival for the mayoralty again this year is going to be Lee Vandvis. Tell us about this guy. How would you sort of describe his image and his political positioning, as it were? Lee is a long-term councillor, but he is also a walking contradiction in many ways. So... He berates his own council over spending and yet has taken them all the way to the Supreme Court. A Dunedin councillor who took legal action against his own council, which began with a $12 parking ticket, has lost his case. And this has been a three-year ordeal now, which is still ongoing because we don't know how much council are essentially going to chase the legal costs uh, over this fiasco. They've already spent six figures on it. So I think that's been quite... Uh, damaging for him and undermine some of the work that he does. He's one of those people that always votes no to almost always to whatever is before council um, and, and likes his vote recorded. But I think probably the biggest concern was that his stance regarding um, uh, vaccination policy, that he, he hasn't been vaccinated. That's his own personal choice. But I, but, but I think that may have affected his brand. So what he... Uh, may have appealed to some disenfranchised voters. I think that has possibly retracted somewhat. And I think now in this mayoralty race, we're going, it's wide open being STV and we're seeing some other candidates emerge. One of them uh, is Jules Raddick. He is a, a first-term councillor and he's spending big and got a political team behind him and Team Dunedin. Uh, he's assembled some uh, good people there. They're just flooding social media with their campaign. And we've got Sophie Barker, a late entry to the race, and she is also one to watch. We've talked about the people um, and uh, involved with the race, but it, it, in summary, I mean, what do you think are the are the big points front of mind for the electorate this year in Dunedin? Well, local body campaign about issues. This is this sounds sounds um, news breaking. <laughs> Novel, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. blush from the past. Yeah. Well, look, just 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 as a side on that, Vandivis and Sophie Barker have come out and said how toxic council is, particularly this term, they, they just don't get on. So we're seeing a debate of personalities mainly and the issues less so. I mean, 
Uh, Vandivis is very big on on many of the issues that are hot button ones for the city, ones like Three Waters, the George Street upgrade. I'm not sure if uh, your listeners be aware of that, but so Dunedin's got one of the older retail streets in uh, in New Zealand. It, we don't have the strip malls that other cities of similar sizes have. Council voted to uh, basically rip it all up, basically because we've got the oldest wastewater pipes, stormwater pipes, uh, freshwater pipes underneath uh, George Street, 180 years old or something. Council decided, well, we're going to do this work. We might as well upgrade George Street. Now, that's caused some sort of hand-wringing some businesses, business owners down there, including one who's running for council who's banned the mayor from his shop mm-hmm. um, because that's going to get rid of parking. Mm-hmm. Those are all interesting sort of um, in-the-moment issues. But, you know, I, I mean, what was it? It was just a couple of years ago, wasn't it, when um, torrential rains hit South Dunedin and the vulnerabilities of that low-lying area were sort of were, were thrust into the public spotlight. And I wonder whether the, that sort of, I mean, that's a very long-term issue really, isn't it, is the development of, of South Dunedin where it you know, will be affected by the changing climate. Are, are those sorts of things on the table for council as well or are the main issues more in the here and now? More in the here and now. Uh, I think climate change is something that, we can feel all loom over us like a dark cloud, but we, we just we just choose to ignore it. And we know about dark clouds in Dunedin. I, th- I think I think the one to watch will be uh, the former Forbury Park Racecourse, a massive uh, plot of land not far away from uh, those. Well, it was a flood affected area in 2015, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Like any other city, big plot of green space like that becomes available. They'll they'll put uh, their McMansions on there. The houses, but Dunedin, that, that's that's what to watch because that'll be the sort of blueprint for the city. The next council is going to have to be. Um, I'm not going to use the word think big because that's got bad connotations in, in New Zealand <laughs> in some ways. But you know, we're, we're going to have to reposition ourselves again, and that'll take um, some leadership. So, whoever survives this has got still got a big task ahead. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. And I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Tess Brunton, Felix Demaray and Hamish McNeely. Matewa. Matewa.